0: Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of *Do the Impossible* for fifty percent off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of *Do the Impossible* for fifty percent off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com/impossible50. That's fifty percent off any format. www.biggerpockets.com/impossible50.
1: Part of what I hope to be able to do over the course of the next few years, whether I run or I don't is to be a voice from the perch I have at ABC at a minimum to say to folks, you know, let's talk about common sense here, rather than always having on our jersey and, and having to go to the far extreme of that jersey um every day, whether we really believe it or we don't
0: welcome to Horn Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch and this is the uh, podcast dedicated to a simple premise, that everything is a brand. Uh, every person, every celebrity, every product, every company, every institution, every movement is a brand. A brand is a set of values and we do two things here. First, we kind of go over and do a big interview with an iconic brand of themselves. And today it's former governor, Chris Christie. Uh, he's very outspoken, uh, I'm really excited to talk to him. Chris and I used to really bump heads, but now we kind of, uh, there's a mutual respect there. And I think you're going to have a really interesting conversation. Obviously, former governor of New Jersey and an impossible presidential, presidential candidate for 2024. We're going to talk about that. And of course, we also do our Brands of the Week. Which brands are up? Which brands are down? Uh, what's driving the zeitgeist? And let's get right to our Brands of the Week. First Brand of the Week, Brand Down for the Trump-O'Reilly History Tour. That's right. Trump and Bill O'Reilly kicked off their tour uh, this past weekend with many empty seats. Uh, they promised big crowds. The kickoff event, uh, highlighted by Trump and disgraced Fox News host O'Reilly, took place at the Florida FAL Live Arena, home of the Panthers, NHL team. Tickets went for 138 bucks, and there are thousands of empty seats. They're basically... They, the upper deck, there was nobody in there. And I guess people are not that interested in paying $130 to go listen to Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly uh, do what they call their Trump-O'Reilly history tour. So a brand down for their unsuccessful tour. Another brand down for Trump, uh, you know, Trump's hunt for disloyal Republicans. Um, basically, if most of all of Trump's candidates win, he will go into 2024 election cycle with far more people willing to do his bidding for the running elections in key states. Basically, they're going through, uh, the, you know, Trump was only a few morally righteous people away, or had they not been righteous, away from possibly stealing the last election. Obviously, Brad Rasmusberger in Georgia and in Pennsylvania, the the head of the elections. And now they're putting in various, they're going in a very scalpel way, and the Republicans are putting in various local officials in Lowest places who will kind of necessarily uh, go along Next time, you know, you just saw David Perdue, who's running against Brian Kemp in Georgia. Brian Kemp, of course, certified the election. He said he wouldn't to certified the election. And I just, I want to keep sounding the alarm bells. We are in such a precarious situation. Guys, our democracy is in play. It can, it can, ha- it not only can it happen, I can argue there's a good chance it's going to happen if Trump wins again or any Republican, that they are setting this up to basically not have to live by elections. It's happening. And once again, they're changing they're, they're changing laws that all of a sudden it gets thrown to certain legislatures and 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 certain people have decision making on a local level versus a federal level. Guys, alarm bells, big. So brand down for Trump that way. Same thing on on Trump also. It's just it's just fucking this stuff is just incredible. Call the Trump shock troops. Bannon and Gates call for shock troops to take control of government if Trump returns to 24. Former One House advisor Steve Bannon and GOP, uh, Steve Bannon and GOP Reverend Matt Gates of Florida want some 4,000 shock troops to get ready to take control of the federal government if Donald Trump decides to run for president again and wins in 2024. Um, they talked about this on uh, Bannon's uh, podcast. Gates said that sometimes you got to raise your voice to raise a ruckus and raise an army of patriots who love this country and will fight for her. So put in 4,000 special troops to make sure all the elections are going right and... Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. know. Okay. Uh, Brand down for Rudy Giuliani. Um, basically claimed he has, he claimed basically that he has 900 death certificates on hand to prove that thousands of dead people voted in the election. Now, this is what Rudy Giuliani is saying right now. Not that we should really listen to anything Rudy Giuliani says right now is that there are 900 death certificates that he is holding in his possession that proves that dead people voted in the last election. Rudy Giuliani, you need to go to the institution that's gonna help you and and make you well again. I mentioned this also, I uh, brand down for governor uh, candidate, David Perdue in Georgia, says he would have not um, uh, given certification to the state's election last time, had he been governor at the time. And this is who's gonna be running in the, and he's primarying the, the current governor, uh, Kemp, who did certify the election, was Republican, who did the right thing. Um, and of course, you know, Trump thought he was treasonous for doing that. But it's being put in place, guys. It really, really, really is. Brandoff for New York Attorney General Letitia James. Um, she's decided not to run for governor. And a lot of people think it's because she's really closing in on in the Trump civil investigations. Um, she just won a case where he's being able to be deposed. Uh, a number of important investigation cases underway she tends to finish. And I think she thinks politically she can make more hay bringing down Donald Trump uh, in a case, in a civil case, um, than running for governor. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see. Chris Wallace, brand up for Chris Wallace. Uh, I love Chris Wallace, one of the few guys at Fox News who plays it down the middle. He's leaving, and he's set to join CNN soon-to-launch CNN Plus platform. CNN is going into the streaming news business, and they're, they're putting a lot of weight behind it. They, they got Casey Hunt, my old friend from MS- MSABC, over. There's room is Brian Williams is going to go there, uh, Chris Wallace. So Jeff Zucker lining up his his uh, his generals and Chris Wallace, who did who always ran a great presidential debate, and basically at Fox was had his complete independence was not kind of run by the Fox machine, and he's leaving, and we uh, we we wish him well. On the other hand, a brand down to once again Tucker Carlson could be it's either Tucker Carlson or Trump who gets the most brand downs on the this show. Listen, this is what Genius said. Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson claimed that getting the coronavirus feminizes people. In a discussion about UK UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who got the virus in March, Carlson asked British political right-winger Nigel Farage, so somebody who knows him told me, and I'd be interested in getting your take on this, that getting COVID emasculated him. It changed him. It feminized him. It weakened him as a man. Do you think that's the case? And – This is what he said. He goes, Look, the virus itself is true, does tend to take away the life force in some people. I noticed that Carlson, I mean, it does feminize people. No one ever says it, but it's true. So if you got coronavirus, and if you had trouble, had respiratory problems, or you had aches and pains, it feminized you. There you go, Tucker Carlson, homophobic Tucker Carlson. Um, (sighs) It's incredible. Okay, Governor Brand up to California Governor Gavin Newsom. Governor, Governor Newsom says he will use legal tactics of Texas abortion ban to implement gun control. Um, he's basically the way they, the the Texas, the new six-week abortion law, where they basically circumvented the federal government. He said he's going to do the same thing to tackle gun control in his new state. If states can now shoot the LS from from review by federal courts that compares assault weapons to Swiss Army knives, then California used that authority to protect people's lives uh, where Texas used it to put women in harm's way. So. Trying to do the same formula, not a winning formula. We, we can't circumvent federal laws when, when the Supreme Court makes decisions. That's got to be the final law on the land. So I appreciate his vigor. Um, but uh, brand up and brand down for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is delivering the fastest economic recovery in history. Why hasn't anyone noticed? Um, every number is, is is through the roof. You know, I mean, look at the economy and uh, only 4.2% Americans are out of work um, economies from the pandemic. It, we've blasted back. Um, but seven more than 70% of the economy think is getting worse. Uh, Four in 10 Americans are pessimistic about where the economy is headed. And I think a lot of it has to do with, not, I mean, the obvious answer is the messaging hasn't been there, but part of the problem is the messenger. Joe Biden doesn't come off as strong. He's reading very old. He's reading non man in charge. And I think that somehow trickles down to people's perceptions of what the economy is. I mean, because their own in their own lives, it's better. But they don't hear somebody pounding the table up there going, look how great things are. Look how great things are. Can you imagine if this was Bill Clinton's economy or imagine if this was Donald Trump's economy? Um, And that's the problem. So we'll see. Brand up for the advertising industry, my old industry. Uh, It's growing at record pace. It's on set to be up uh, over 20% in spending this year. And this advertising is always a great indicator of the economy because when when business is good, clients are spending. And when business is bad, it's the first place they cut back. And it's usually kind of an early precursor of where the economy is going uh, because it's the first thing that people cut back and it's the first thing that people increase spending. So this bodes very, very well for the economy. The advertising uh, industry is a is a real bellwether. Better.com CEO, this genius, Vishal Garg, big brand down, probably brand down of the week for this guy. He faced swift backlash for a decision to fire more than 900 employees on a Zoom call last week. This is what he did. The Mortgage Lenders Board announced in a memo, sent to staff that he was taking time off after the very regrettable event. He got 900 people together on a Zoom call and said, I come to you with not great news, he said about. He said, if, if you're on this call, you're part of the unlucky group that's being laid off. Your employment here is terminated effective immediately. That was about 10% of the workforce and he did it en masse. 900 people, now the board has temporarily relieved him of his duties. Well done, board. Brand up for Simone Biles. She's named Time Athlete of the Year. She's got 25- total of 25 medals. Uh, she's probably the greatest gymnast of all time. But why she got a reward was her bravery, not on the parallel bars, but her bravery for saying that she was having uh, some mental issues and, and didn't feel comfortable enough going up in space. I mean, space, when you go up and you put your life on the line, life in the line, when you go up in the air, she was reported having twisties, which is a dangerous moment when a gymnast cannot compartmentalize where their body is in the air and and while trying to compete. And she um, she took herself out. And as an Olymp- as a, an Olympian, as an athlete, you're putting yourself up to total um, uh, certainly major scrutiny by doing that, oh, you're not brave, you're not this. And, and it also it all worked the opposite for. People so so saluted it as somebody who was kind of brave enough to do it and really shine a light on mental illness and sometimes people have mental problems and they can't conduct their everyday work and an athlete is no different and good to shine a light on that. Brand up for Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman has a superhero girlfriend a new comic series. She'll explore a same-sex relationship in a new installation of DC Comics Limited series. The romance begins in the second issue of the series of Dark Knights of Steel, which reimagines the DC universe and its heroes as characters born in medieval times. In the comic, Lois Lane informs Princess Zala L, the sister of Superman and Batman in the universe, that her father has died. And one woman then tells Zala that she'll always be there for her and the two share a passionate kiss. There you go, Wonder Woman. I'd like to, uh, that's, I think that's fucking, I think that's great. Brand down for Travis Scott and Cacti hard seltzer. Uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev is pulling the plug on Travis Scott back hard seltzer brand Cacti. Less than a year after it went on sale. The decision came in the wake of negative publicity for the rapper and influencer after the 10 people of the Astroworld concert in November died as a result of crowd control issues. You know, this is an example. I bring this up not to put down Travis Scott because he's been such an incredible marketing partner, for instance, for McDonald's. The Travis Scott meals really affected their stock price. It had that much of an impact. But when you do these joint ventures, not just a celebrity spokesperson, but when you do a product that's based around a celebrity and the celebrity goes bad or certainly an incident goes bad that is not right for your company, that you got to blow the whole business up. So it's an example of live by the celebrity, die by the celebrity. And um, that's Cacti is brand down from, from Anheuser-Busch. Brand up for Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett, one of the nicest guys in the world. A Parrothead Paradise. Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville empire is getting into cruises the company behind hotels and resorts and restaurants themed around his fame. So it's amazing. This is by the, the first time in the history of entertainment and music that an empire was built around a song. You know, there's a major, you know, hotel empire. And now they're doing a new cruise. It will begin in April with sailings on a 1600 passenger Grand Classica. And uh, it'll be Margaritaville Paradise. So if you feel like you got nothing to do and you want a little vacation, go on a Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville cruise. Brand uh, down for a lot of retailers, including DSW, which is a, a huge uh, shoe uh, discount retailer. Nike is a stopped, is, is a, has announced it's, it's going to stop selling Design a Shoe Warehouse. And it's basically this, I bring this up as a story, not to talk about Design Shoe Warehouse, but Nike has made a decision, like a lot of companies, that they, they've cut about 50% of their retail partners. They'd rather focus on marketing the top products in just 40 retail partners, some of the big ones like Foot Locker and Dick Sports, and online and in their own stores. And they realize they make a lot more money that way. So, you know, a lot of the the most prestigious goods that people want, whether it's a Nike or whether it's a certain designer, you know, handbags, they're less and less available in their non-branded stores because they want to keep all the profits themselves. Can't blame them, it's business. Brand Up for New Zealand announces plan to slowly ban cigarettes, um, under a new law, anyone younger than 15 would be banned from buying cigarettes for life beginning in 2023. There you go. A country that really understands things like let's not have like like automatic weapon guns around here and let's not have a product that we know kills people. Makes sense to me. There you go, New, Z- new Zealand. Uh, brand up for New Zealand. Reading glasses. Uh, brand down. Uh, the new F- new FDA has approved eye drops that could replace reading glasses for millions um, it's a condition affecting mostly people 40 and older, but it's, it's something called Vuity, which was approved by the FDA in October. It would potentially replace reading glasses for up to 128 million Americans. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm taking them right off. This is for people who have trouble seeing close up like me. And finally, a brand up for very peri, periwinkle blue. Pantone 2022 color of the year is basically a new color. They invented a color. It's basically uh, very Perry, What it describes as a futuristic periwinkle blue with violet red undertones. It's the first time the Pantone has created a new color. So there's your new color of the year. And those are our brands of the week. Now let's get to our interview with Chris Christie. Chris Christie has got a lot to say. You guys are going to love this one. Here is a former New Jersey governor and, I ask him, possible 2024 presidential candidate, Chris Christie. I want to talk to you about GiveWell. Donating money to help people can be a wonderful and selfless act, but how can you feel confident that your donations are improving or saving lives effectively? In other words, if you're giving money to something, you want to know it's going to the place, and you, you you have the right kind of like checks and balances, you could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, what programs they run, how effective those programs are, and how the charity might use your money. Or you could visit givewell.org. There, you get a short vetted list. The best charities they found for saving and improving lives per dollar. So, the GiveWell is the place that you go to if, like, if you're feeling like being charitable, which hopefully you are this time of year. And you really want to understand each charity, how it's set up, you know, how it's organized, where the money's going. This is the primer for it. This is GiveWell. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact, evidence-backed charities they found. Over 50,000 donors. Have you used GiveWell to donate more than $750 million? Rigorous evidence suggests these donations save tens of thousands of lives and improves the lives of millions more. And here's the best part. GiveWell is free. That's right. GiveWell wants to empower as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about their donations. They publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free. No sign-up required. They allocate your tax-deductible donation to the charity you choose without taking a cut. Uh, if you've never donated to, donate to GiveWell, Recommended charities before you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter "On Brand with Donnie Deutsch" at checkout. Make sure they know that you heard about GiveWell from "On Brand with Donny Deutsch" to get your donation matched. Go to GiveWell. I want to talk to you about LinkedIn marketing. Let's pretend for a moment you're about to launch a campaign, tested well, your entire team is happy, everything's going according to plan, except for that one thought the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? The answer is LinkedIn. Because when you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to engage with your business. And that means your advertising campaign will work as hard as it can, as soon as it can. Over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn and they're thinking about their business. It's one of the many reasons more than 78% of business-to-business marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform at helping their organization achieve specific objectives. It can help you reach your short and long-term business goals. They offer tools for brand building and lead generation. Not only can you target and reach a professional audience down to the job title, company name, and location, but you can engage people you already know based on who's visited your site, or who's contacted you in the past. This is where you want, if you want to make sure you're reaching the right customers, this is where you go. You go to LinkedIn. Advertising on LinkedIn, the world's largest professional network, can help you reach your marketing goals. Do business where business is done. Get a $100 advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash Donnie. LinkedIn.com slash Donnie. Terms and conditions apply. I am thrilled at today's guest. Um, he's been one of the most important political figures of, of the last couple of decades, I guess. Uh, he and I have jousted on the air. Uh, <laughs> I've become a fan over the years. W- was not always there and, and went at him hard. And we've, uh, you once said an interesting thing that you and I, talking to each other, it was like a murder-suicidal. I'm going to forget that you said that. <laughs> 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 it was a great. But I want to welcome Chris Christie, his new book. Which is making a ton of ways, Republican rescue, saving the party from truth deniers, conspiracy theorists, and the dangerous policies of Joe Biden. Welcome, Governor.
1: Thank you, Donnie. Good to be with you.
0: So just give me the, the we're obviously going to dive way into the book, and, and the title of the book kind of gives us a direction in terms of where to go. First, before we get into anything, I, obviously you, not obviously, you suffered COVID in a pretty serious way. Uh, you were in intensive care for a week. How are you feeling today?
1: I feel very good, Donnie. I'm, I'm back to normal. Uh, it, was a, it was a really rough run in the hospital. Uh, the first couple of days, they um, were telling me they didn't know which way it was going to go, uh, which obviously was a really scary time. Uh, but fortunately for me, I came out of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, had some fatigue for about six weeks or so after uh, I tested uh, negative, uh, but that was the only aftermath I had. And after about six weeks, I was back to my normal energy level. So I feel really lucky on a whole bunch of levels that I came through it. Okay.
0: You know, there's a silver lining when somebody is as sick as you were to the point where they're telling you you may not make it. What was the perspective at that point? What are, you know, I always want to talk to the people who were close to death, near death, face death. What, what, what cathartic, what, 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 what change happens as a result of that?
1: Well, like for me, you know, it was, uh, you know, you have this life and I know you have a similar one where you have ambition and you have, um, uh, a lot of things you want to try to accomplish and achieve in your life. Um, and you rationalize a lot of the time that you spend, um, not focusing on your family. Yeah. And, and so for me, it was that moment when, you know, the doctors were saying, well, you know, if your breathing doesn't get better, we may have to intubate you. And I write about this in the book. I, I called my wife and I said, look, you need to talk to the doctors and tell them that if I'm going to need to be intubated, they have to give me an hour notice. If they can, so that I can Facetime with each of the four kids and spend 15 minutes with each of them to tell them the things that I feel like I need to tell them. If I never come out of it, and I think once you're at that moment, it, it changes everything. So, like last night, I, I got home from a from a dinner with my younger brother, and um, uh, and, and I I Facetimed uh, three of the four kids between 10 and 11 o'clock last night, um, just to see them and to talk to them. I had no agenda. Nothing I really wanted to say. I just want to make sure they're okay. And so that's the biggest change I've seen in me, Donnie, is that I um I realize how precious the moments uh, I have to spend with them are. And uh the idea of trying to fit uh, a lifetime worth of advice into 15 minutes uh kind of shakes you uh shakes you to the core.
0: You realize. At the end, it's not not about the voters, not about your coworkers. it's 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 not about fellow politicians, it's not about the media. it's not all the things that take up your energy and time uh, that ain't what it's about. i got three daughters and I, and I hear you brother. I really do it yep. it.
1: that's it. no, it's definitely true. and you know um it, it's a little annoying to them now. They've had enough of me to tell you the truth <laughs>
0: <laughs> dad, 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 don't get sick again. We can't
1: yeah, take any more. <laughs> yeah, we can't take any more of your of your tender attention.
0: Uh, hey, I want to do a little, little This Is Your Life before we can obviously talk a lot about politics and a lot about the book and a lot about the state of the Republican Party. Um, you grew up in Livingston. Uh, you were, you were, like I, were class president. You were a catcher on the baseball team. What was Chris Christie, age 16, 17, like?
1: You know, um, I was somebody that um, I had lots of friends. Um, I loved playing baseball. Um, I loved being president of the class. Um, I, I loved my high school years, I had um a great group of friends. In fact, we we just had our 40th reunion um this uh this October. And, you know, we're still incredibly close. Uh this summer I had my state championship baseball team. We won the state championship my senior year. Uh, we had uh 15 guys on that team. 12 of the 15 came to City Field um wow. and I hosted them for a game there. And it was like uh, you know we hadn't missed a beat with each other, so the high school years were I look back on very fondly, and a lot of what I am were was shaped during those years and and that's why when i when I decided to run for president in sixteen, I did my announcement um from the high school gym um where I had played and 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 had been with all these folks and and we had seventy people from my high school class who came that day wow. um, to be part of it and who volunteered for the campaign. So high school was, was just, you know, four years of fun for me. Um, Had great friends, had a great girlfriend, had um, played varsity sports. And it was, it was an idealistic thing. Yeah. I, I had a wonderful, you know, wonderful high school experience.
0: It's funny. My first, one of my girlfriends from college from Livingston. Now Livingston is an affluent community. Not a lot of people going into public service from there. So what kind of drew you into that?
1: You're probably one of the only other people who did. Which was Governor Tom Kane. Yeah, um, he was from Livingston, um, lived in Livingston while I was growing up, and that's how I got interested in politics at first. On he came to my junior high school, Heritage Junior High School. Then that's now middle school it was a junior high then, and we uh, he came to speak to us in 1977 when he was running for governor the first time, and I just thought the guy was great, and I came home and told my mother I wanted to volunteer for his campaign. I was 15 years old. And, um, I said, but I don't know how to do that. And she said, well, we know where he lives. Just go up to his house. And I said, well, I'm not going to go to his house. And she said, get in the car. And she got me in the car and drove me up his driveway. And she sent me to his front door. I said, are you coming with me? She said, no, I don't want to volunteer. You do. So I I rang his doorbell and Tom Kane answered the door and he took me on a campaign trip that night with him to Paramus. And I was hooked on politics after that. And you know, ironically, Donnie, that was 1977. Um, and so, you know, 32 years later, almost to the day, he endorsed me for governor.
0: That's amazing. That's a great story. That's a great yeah. story. Fast forward, U.S. Attorney uh New Jersey. Uh, you prosecute 130 public officials. Obviously, and we watch Billions, and we see and kind of that position. Obviously, that's Southern District, but same job. uh what always strikes me is the blank piece of paper with that position, the power of that, the more than any other elected or appointed official, uh, that you basically have the ability and, and this is both a, a challenge, but almost something that's overwhelming to say, where are the bad guys? Where I, I mean, is you can go, I can go after uh, public officials, I can go after the mafia, I can go after gangs, I can go after the art market for price fixing. I I mean, anywhere. How do you set an agenda as a a U.S. attorney? Well,
1: for me, it was kind of looking at what was going on inside the state and say to yourself, all right, two things. One, where's the need? And two, where's the talent inside your organization? And because different prosecutors prosecute different cases better. Um, Some are intense paper cases where the Analysis of that stuff is really important. Others are, are kind of gunslinger types who want to do the gun cases and the drug cases and, and, and know how to tussle in that, in that arena. So you have to match talent to need. And there, there were a number of times where I had to go out and hire some new talent because to fill a need that I had. Other times, it was about redirecting the investigative agencies, FBI, DEA, ATF, um, all those groups into the areas that I wanted them to go into. But I will tell you, Donnie, people ask me frequently because of the jobs that I've had, what was the best job I had of being U.S. attorney by far and away was the best job I've had. Well,
0: I want to talk to you about ID Tech. When learning is fun, new concepts stick. That's why over 1 million parents have chosen ID Tech, the only STEM educated with 22 years of camp traditions. With ID Tech, your kids will be learning gaps, explore topics not covered in school, advance quickly, and have fun doing it. Right now, they're offering a great deal. You could save 150 bucks on weekly small group semesters to get started with one-on-one tutoring sessions for just $49. Now, this is the stuff that sometimes they don't get enough in school. Live instructors make learning fun, engaging courses in coding, design, game development, math, and even robotics. This is where kids and teens learn from the best. So this is the stuff that I'm not putting regular school down, but this is the kind of stuff I want to say it again, robotics, coding, design, game development, math, this is the stuff that we're not teaching enough in school, and is going to really help them in life. The curriculum is developed in partnership with top universities like MIT, and motivators and innovators like Damon John and Dude Perfect, and tech giants like Roblox and Minecraft. With one-on-one tutoring and weekly small group semesters, there's something for everyone, every kid, every interest, every skill level. The scheduling is fast and flexible. So go to at, here. You go right now. Go to ID Tech. Dot com That's idtech.com slash Donnie right now, and use code Donnie to save 150 bucks on weekly small group seminars. For a limited time, you can also get started with a one-on-one tutoring session for just $49. That's code Donnie at idtech.com slash Donnie to save $150. And your child can start learning online from a live instructor right now. idtech.com slash Donnie. Two-term governor, obviously tremendous success. And obviously you, you had to deal with the Bridgegate thing at the end. So there's kind of a dual legacy there. How yep. do you now kind of go, okay, I'm going to grade myself as governor of the eight years?
1: Look, I, you know, as I, as I look back in the eight years, there's always things that you would do differently. Um, but um, I, this is the way I grade myself. Uh, I was a governor of consequence. I did things that were consequential. And, and that's all I ever really wanted to be. Um, cause you're not going to be perfect. And in fact, given some of my positions on issues, um, I wasn't always in step with the voters, um, opinions on things. Um, and that's what made the, mm. the eight years even more interesting because it was my job to try to persuade them, um, to my point of view. And sometimes I didn't, sometimes I didn't. And I think in the end, um, on the Bridgegate matter, I think the way I handled it in the end is what's allowed me to continue to have a career. Um, You know, that was, as you'll remember, one of the most intensely investigated incidents I've seen in my political career, With the combination of both the federal government and um, the state legislature and the media. Um, And I had always said to folks, I didn't do anything wrong. I remember um, watching the show that you were on all the time back then, uh, Morning Joe, a couple of days after and seeing my old friend Joe Scarborough saying I needed to resign and I remember calling Joe afterwards, and I said, "What about the possibility that I didn't do anything wrong? And I didn't know anything about it?" Yeah. And, and, and you know, you had to have patience to wait that out, And you think about it, Donnie, seven years after it first came out, the United States Supreme Court dismissed the criminal cases, nine nothing. I mean, it's a pretty bad exercise. You talked about the US. attorney job. It's, a, it's an awful exercise of your authority as U.S. attorney. when you bring criminal cases. That get dismissed by the supreme court nine nothing when you bring ruth bader ginsburg and clarence thomas together i mean that's bad yeah. prosecuting yeah. and so you know you had to have the patience to wait that through there's no doubt that it affected my career in a significant way even though i never i didn't do anything wrong but you know when you're governor you have to be accountable for everything that the people underneath you do um you know so if you, if I go back and give myself a grade, Donnie, I'd say I wish I hadn't hired those three people. Right. Um, you know, and and uh, and if and if I hadn't, I probably would be in a much different place today. But you know, you have sixty thousand people working for you. You're going to make some mistakes, yeah. and this one came back to bite me.
0: Let's get into politics, and let's get into first of all your run for president. You know, this show is we call it on a brand, and the whole premise is that everybody and everything is a brand, every person, every institution. And I would argue that your brand this. What I'll call this pugnacious, and I, I mean that in a positive sense of the word, punch punch with a smile on your face, go for the juggler, you know, no bullshit in your face, take no prisoners was kind of a reinvention for the Republican Party because when you think about the public figure and a precursor to Trump in the sense that you know you had Mitt Romney, you had you know W, you had George H.W Bush, the Republican Party didn't have the teeth. At that point, and you, that's what made you such a compelling national figure.
1: Yeah, look, I'd agree with you. And I think, you know, one of the most frustrating things about the 2016 campaign was that I think I read the the mood correctly of the country and the party, and that my personality fit that mood. Uh, but somebody who had a hundred percent name ID and was even, you know, more pugnacious than me wound up getting into the race. And occupied that lane yeah and we kind of knew from the beginning that if he stayed in and and was going to be a viable candidate that there was very little room for us to move that he was going to occupy that lane and that brand and and i think that what people i know you appreciate this because of all the work you've done on this kind of issue over the years but you know he's only the second presidential candidate in the in what i call the modern era the post-world war ii era who came into his race for president with a hundred percent name ID. Yeah. The other guy was Eisenhower. Um, but other than Dwight Eisenhower, and it's amazing that I'm using Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, and
0: and <laughs> but
1: but <laughs> in, in that one way, they have similarities, which is hundred yeah. percent of the people in the country knew him. And that, as you know, is a very difficult thing to overcome. Yeah. I, I, I tell this anecdote all the time that when I started a campaign with Trump in April, or so, March, April of sixteen, and we'd work rope lines together. The number one thing people would say to him when he'd come up to the rope line is, "You're fired." Yeah, that's what they knew him on, and and that's what they related to him on, and that was that made the 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 branding for me in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, you know, much more difficult because I am who I am, but you know, uh, when you have somebody who's much better known. And even even more bombastic, yeah. um, in that respect, it, it's hard to it's hard to, to to make space for yourself. Yeah, he had
0: the same brand attributes, but had a much higher awareness. Does that? I'm curious going forward because we start we hear now all of a sudden, you know, Matthew McConaughey's going to run for governor, and then Dwayne Johnson, and then this. I'm curious having this celebrity as a president, and obviously Reagan was also, but a very different kind of thing. And Reagan was yeah. a good governor; he was he was mostly known to, to the world as a politician. I'm wondering if Trump paved the way or soured it for that kind of what I'll call just celebrity name recognition going in. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that.
1: I think both. Right. So I think that he made lots of other people like McConaughey, like like The Rock, like uh, other folks like that think maybe I can do it. Yeah. But I also think that they'll be scrutinized much differently than he was. And let's face it, I think um, not only by the voters, but by the media. Uh, uh, I, you know, I remember when I uh, left office in January of 2018, and I was go- making the rounds to the different networks uh, to see who I might want to work with after I after I got done. Um, I, I met with Jeff Zucker, the the president of CNN, and 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 Zucker said to me, "You're the reason Trump is president. You gave him credibility." And I looked at him and I said, "Hey, Doctor, heal thyself. Yeah, you know, <laughs> stop projecting." Uh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, I wasn't the guy who put him, you know, on TV uh, for an hour and a half uninterrupted at night, giving a speech from Alabama. Yeah. I, I told Zucker the story. I, I was in Iowa campaigning in late 2015. I did three town halls in one day, reached mm-hmm. probably about 900 people live. I came back to my hotel in Des Moines, ordered my Domino's pizza because there's no room service at the Des Moines Marriott. This is the glamour of running for president and, and, and turned on at CNN. And they did an hour-and-a-half speech live uninterrupted for Donald Trump from Alabama. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? You know. So I think that the media will scrutinize these candidates differently. I don't think that, that much of the media ever took Trump seriously. I, didn't, I think they thought this is was a sideshow. Sure, good sure. ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, what's and, interesting, but he's never going to win. What's interesting,
0: know? in hindsight, it was a fait accompli because what happened, not only you get the exposure. So Trump starts at 1%. And Trump's whole thing is, look how I'm winning. And obviously, if you get that exposure, then the next day, you're 3%. And he goes, look yep. at me, I'm climbing in the polls. And then you, that, that was it. There was just a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and in hindsight, you go, he was unbeatable because of yeah. where he stood in the media landscape. He really, and, and that's why, like, when you talk about my
1: campaign at 16, I and people have asked me this, like, what would you do differently? I said, not much. Like, look, I got endorsed by the Manchester Union leader. I got yeah. endorsed, endorsed by the Boston Herald. I ran the kind of campaign I wanted to run, um, but I just couldn't be heard. Yeah, and if you can't be heard, that's the end of that. And so, you know, sometimes you just have to, to to bow to timing and all the rest of that in politics. It's the way it happens. And and um, and so I don't have any regrets about sixteen, and I and I wouldn't do
0: anything much differently. I, you know, I, I always like to think I'm the smartest guy in the room, particularly when I'm the only one in the room. And I don't know what <laughs> you would I would I don't know what you have done differently. Given it, it was just one of those things that. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong guy to show yep. up, and because because if I really contrast you with the rest of the field, I think you would have had it. I really, really yeah. do. I, I, well, look, would t- I, I, yeah, I, I've I was always at, said that. I was at a uh, Ron Perlman had a uh, has his July Fourth woo-hoo every year, and every you know it is the the who's who or whatnot. And you were there that year. You you were actually on stage dancing. I'm still trying to get that image out of my head. (laughs) But you were. It was you were being anointed at that point. It was really you know that was kind of the cognizenti and the the media insiders and whatnot. And it was like I remember going, "Wow, this is this is Christie's time." I mean, it's going to happen. Well,
1: you know, it's it's funny because um, I had been at rehearsal because we were staying with John and Dorothea Bon Jovi
0: that weekend good, and good friends of mine.
1: Yeah. We had been at re- rehearsal with John. I had been there earlier and I, I met Jamie Foxx and, and um, Jamie Foxx turns out to be a Dallas Cowboys fan as I am. We start talking about football and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and he said to me, he looked at me and he goes, we're going to have fun tonight. I said, Oh, great. Good. Yeah. So when he gets up on stage and starts doing his thing and he says, there's only one person in the audience. I want to come up here and dance with me. I turned to my <laughs> wife and I said, he's going to pick me. And she's like, get a hold of yourself. She goes, look at the people who are here. He's picking you to go on stage. Forget it. And I said, you watch. I'm telling you. That's what's going to happen. And when he said, Chris Christie, get up here, I got up, and I was sitting next to Jack Nicholson. Right. And Nicholson looked at me, who's from New Jersey. And Nicholson looked at me, and he said, buddy, don't embarrass New Jersey up there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what's what's amazing about Nicholson is, Every time you hear something he says to somebody, it's just this like pitch perfect, just oh. like, you know, crazy, crazy thing. So what a great guy. Yeah. Let's let's get into the state of the Republican Party and the essence of the book. You um, know, just most macro way, you know, we all know where the Republican Party is being held right now. And you can call it by truth deniers, conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. uh, white supremacists, the extreme right. How did they, they get there? What happened? Well, look, I I think that there was
1: a lot of frustration in the country um, in certain sectors, especially during the Obama years, but even at the end of the Bush 43 years um, with the frustration with Iraq. And then I think most importantly, um, the fiscal meltdown. And I think a lot of middle class Americans felt like they were being left behind. And a lot of them voted for Barack Obama as a result and didn't feel like Barack Obama related to them, listened to them heard them.
0: Or is it, so, or is it Barack Obama was black?
1: Um, no, I think, well, I'm sure with some of them, big, with big a small minority right. it was, but I think for most of them, Donnie, I think a lot of those people voted for Barack Obama because they were fed up with the, with how they perceived the Republican party to be in bed with big business yeah, and not with them. And then they felt like Obama didn't relate to them and deliver on some of the stuff that they wanted. So they were angry and frustrated. And I think that, so part of this, is anger and frustration leads to people going to a further and further extreme to try to fix their problem and i think donald trump and i always found this incredibly ironic that the 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 billionaire um rich kid
0: became the every man yeah you
1: know, yeah could could wind up relating to the every man but to give him credit you know he knew how to speak to that constituency and when you win as you know. Everything you've done is genius when you win. When yeah. you lose, everything you did was idiocy. Yes. Um, and, and the truth is almost never anywhere near those two extremes. But Trump got a lot of credit from having won. I, and, and I think that the party then said, well, he's the president. Uh, and the way our system works is, at least in the beginning, uh, everyone needs to be singing out of the same hymnal. And I think that's the way it happened. Uh, but uh, I think there's a number of things that led to Trump. Um, that Trump wound up being able to exploit um, for his own political purposes uh, that were created by the Bush, the end of the Bush 43 era, I'd say like the post 9-11 Bush 43 era, and then by Obama.
0: But why, it, it, I, I get that and I agree with everything you're saying, but why today 30% of Republicans, so it's one in three. It's, so it's not one in a hundred, you know, believe in... Some of the essences of QAnon, you know that there's there's blood drinking, uh, pedophiles. I, I mean, the most outrageous. Is it? Just explain that human. From you know, you're a, you're a people person. You're a, you have a you always have a you have a great gut. So beyond just politics, explain that to me because it, 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 it defies any logic, any cognitive, uh, you know, reasoning. What what is that? What's behind that?
1: I think in the absence of people hearing anything to the contrary, um, they're going to believe the people who are filling the open space. So some of this QAnon stuff, I don't think people really understand it, but they see it as part of a resistance to something else. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote the book, was because when you read the chapter on QAnon and where it started, what it's really about, and you read that stuff, I, I think that a lot of people are going to say, "Oh my god, I didn't know it was that. I'm not going to be part of that." And the challenge is going to be for people in our party to stand up and stand against it. I mean, look, Marjorie Taylor Greene who's probably the the most recognizable member of the QAnon movement that's in national office at the moment. You know, she said something the other day that was just extraordinary to me. Um she said, you know, 600,000 people die of cancer. Yeah, cancer's Every conta- year. Contagious. But we don't close the country down for that. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, well, <laughs> cancer's not contagious, uh Marjorie. It's amazing. Um I mean, so I think that what we have to do, Donnie, as Republicans is shine a light on these folks. It's exactly and I write this in the book about what, what Reagan um, did. Reagan and, and, the Bill Birch, Buckley, and the John
0: Birch. And the society. John Birch. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take we us, take us, us do, through that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We need to do that. It's, it's, we're at that point again in our party. And so we need to do that. And, and that's not going to happen like this. It's not going to happen overnight. But I think this book is the beginning of that conversation. And the reason I thought it was so important was if, an, if someone who was perceived as a never trumper wrote this book, I think a lot of people wouldn't pay attention but somebody who had been supportive of the president helped prepare for the debates and, and voted for him says, wait a second, you know this is out of hand. I think that that will have at least a better chance in that 30% of people being at least willing to listen. That's my, that's my thesis on it, Donnie. We're going to see over the next couple of years whether I'm right or wrong. Um, but uh, this is not something you can poll, I don't think. This is something where you have to incrementally attempt to change the party's point of view.
0: Yeah, I, I as a as a strategist, Brandy, I couldn't agree with you more. That that that's the lane that's wide open. And that's the that's the only general election winning lane. You know, the challenge obviously is, is in primary. We've got the fringe 20%, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there's maybe anywhere between six and eight percent of this country in play in every election, and they're the ones that kind of hover, they're the suburban moms, they're the the independents, they're not that you're not getting them with crazy on either side. And the yep. Democrats, you know, if the Democrats play this woke game, they'll get destroyed the same way. So, it it the the challenge though is getting through the primaries because yep. that that so that's the. By the way, if you can go straight to a general election, you the Chris Christie platform is the winning formula. Period. And Youngkin has played it in a certain way uh, in Virginia. Obviously, there's a playbook there. Is whereas you don't necessarily kind of piss on Trump and you kind of like just keep him in a little box. And yeah, we we get why you like Trump, but but but, 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 and yep. the challenge is in the primary though. It is. And look, I,
1: I don't know that any of us can really predict here. We are sitting at, at the end of 2021. If I told you at the end of 2013, after I'd been reelected with 61% of the vote in New Jersey, that Donald Trump was going to be the next Republican nominee for president, you would have laughed at me. It, it would have been an absolute joke. So Things move in this game mm-hmm. pretty rapidly, but when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's moving glacially. Like we want these changes immediately. and and I don't um, I don't think that's the way it works. I think people incrementally move, and in our party, they're going to incrementally move. I think you see that already. I saw a poll Donnie two weeks ago in the Des Moines Register um, of Iowa Republicans, and they asked them the question. Who is your primary loyalty to, the Republican Party or Donald Trump? Sixty-two percent said the Republican Party. Twenty-six percent said Donald Trump. That's in one of the most conservative Republican states in the country. That's
0: counterintuitive to what you, what the press puts out there. Basically, it's Trump's right. party. It's it's a it's a it's a personality cult. Blah 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 blah.
1: And and I think look if you look at some of the candidates he's endorsed, they haven't done very well lately. No. no. And and I think that's another indication. But, but we're in an instant gratification society, as you know. So everybody wants uh, everything to happen immediately. It's not going to. But I think for those of us who have been in politics and looked at public opinion for a long time, I see things moving. And, and I want to be a part of making it move. Because I don't think that our party could be a relevant national party um, if we don't move, if we don't start talking to the kitchen table issues that people care about. And get off of talking about the 2020 election um you know, to me uh if we if we don't do that we will we, we may win in the midterms just as a rejection sure of what the historically Democrats are doing. yes without question but we won't win the presidency
0: no and the way i also the other nugget i would throw in if if you or anybody else is going up against trump instead of saying trump sucks trump's this trump, he lost it's a losing part like I, I like donald okay and but he lost to buy. he lost to not a very compelling candidate and no. we can and so the formula doesn't work let's take what works from him and let's celebrate part of his legacy and that's the way you do the dance there but you cuz he lost he lost he lost he lost he lost he lost
1: and you know donnie that nothing will bother him more that's than it.
0: that that's it that's it that's his essence that's and that's it. why yeah.
1: he's continued to say that he didn't lose even though he did because he can't quite live with the idea that he's lost and 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 I you know, and and I I've known him for 20 years and and so I understand that part of his personality I never thought he would take it to this extreme mm-hmm. I really didn't but he has that's the game he's decided to play for whatever reason but I think it makes him incredibly vulnerable yes in a general election in 2024 if he decided to run
0: I've known him for 20 years also and I was one of the few along with Michael Cohn who said he wasn't going to leave office? That that whatever he would tell people to take to the streets. To me, he he plays his hand. I, I I you know I I was not surprised. You were one of the first kind of very high profile Republicans to come out and say yes, we lost. Okay, and at that point, and you and Donald Trump haven't spoken since then. Um, you. Take me back to January 6th because you you talk about how you tried to get Trump on the phone, you got Kelly on Conway on your phone, you're sitting there, you're you're watching what's going on. Take me through the Chris Christie's morning that morning. Well,
1: it was funny because that morning, Donnie, I actually was working and and so I didn't have the TV on. And ABC called me and said, Hey, we want you to come on the air by phone to talk about what's going on up at the Capitol. And I said, What's going on up at the Capitol? I didn't know. They said, turn on the TV, watch it for a little bit, and then get back to us. So when I watched it, I was obviously very concerned. I then went on my computer and looked at what the speeches, bits of the speeches that had been given that morning. And I said, yeah, I got to try to call the president and tell him he's got to go on TV right now and tell these people to back off. Um, And so I tried to get him on the phone. I called his secretary. Um, I got her voicemail. And so... Then I called Kellyanne, and I said, if, you know, have you spoken to him? She said, no, I've tried, because she wasn't working in the White House anymore at that point. Um, she said, I tried, but I haven't been able to get through to him. But we both have to keep calling him. We got to talk to him. And so I then tried his body guy. Uh, he wouldn't take the call. And then I actually called Trump's personal cell phone, and he wouldn't take the call. And so I knew at that point that he had made a judgment as to what I was going to tell him, And that he didn't want to hear what I was going to tell him. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went on TV and said it then. Uh, But I felt like I owed it to him and to the country to try to tell it to him first and try to convince him of what he needed to do before I went on TV and said it. But once he made it very clear he wasn't going to take the call, then I went on TV and said what I needed to say, which is that I think he was responsible for what happened. On Capitol Hill,
0: are you? Because you've said that his speech—you don't draw a, li- a direct line between the speech and what happened there. So you—I you, I don't.
1: I draw a direct line, Donnie, from what he said starting on election night, right, to January sixth, when you tell people at two thirty in the morning on election night, behind the seal of the president, that the election was stolen, and you have no evidence to back it up, and don't present any. You know what you're doing is inciting people from the minute you say that. Mm-hmm and he kept saying it as you know every day for the next 60 days well if you do that to me the speech wasn't the incitement because if you listen to the speech that day i think it was relatively mild for as what? a trump speech as as a would trump, go
0: that's interesting yeah
1: but those people came there that day angry yeah that's why they were there and he's responsible for that he created that anger and that sense of disillusionment with our democracy that led some of those people that day to overreact to the extent that they went up to the Capitol and started to create real damage and it cost people their lives.
0: Do you think the average American understands how precarious our democracy is right now? Had Trump been more clever and two years in started to put people in various state legislative positions, had three or four people been have their moral compass off the Raffensburgers of the world our democracy was done. And that, and where the scary part now going forward is those things are being put in place. And we really, you know, the the human mind always likes to they can't grapple with certain things that are too overwhelming. So the average person goes, nah, you know, it's not gonna happen. And it can I don't I don't even mean long shot. A betting man could say it will happen.
1: Well, look, I I, I will tell you, I think that there's two ways to look at this. And I think both are valid at the same time. I think your point of view on the future um, is is absolutely something that we need to be cognizant of and that we have to to guard against. But I also remember thinking that day about how strong our democracy was, that despite the violence on the Hill, despite the members of Congress being threatened with their lives, including the vice president, they got back on the floor at four o'clock in the morning and and they certified the election. And, you know, people say, well, we're a bunch of Republicans voted the other way. And, and I will tell you, I think they voted the other way, some of them in part because they actually believed it. But I think many of them, it was, a, it, they knew it was, a, they thought at least politically, their calculus was it was a cost-free vote for them. They knew the vote was going to be certified. So their attitude was, well, I'm going to make a vote that's going to play better back in my district. Um, so I, I wonder, Donnie, whether if, let's say Republicans are in the majority in 24 which is likely sure. Um, you know, I don't think those same people vote the same way because then their vote is of historic consequence. And I think that there's a much different level of pressure on those people. I would argue to you that politically, uh, I wouldn't have done that, but the vote for some of these men and women was a giveaway and they knew that their vote wasn't going to matter because there was going to be a significant majority, not just Democrats, but a bunch of other Republicans as well. That we're going to vote to certify it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be um, absolutely cognizant of the risks and making judgments as voters in our state elections and elsewhere as to that risk looming because of the riot that happened on January 6th. But I, I will tell you the big difference in 2024, Donnie, is that Donald Trump won't be president.
0: Yeah. Well, it's hard from, from your mouth from your mouth to God's ears. Well, I mean, well, he why won't do you be why do you say that? Day. Okay, I understand. I understand. You know, what he say. had that, the right. levers of power yes, right, right.
1: in his control yes, in twenty twenty. Right, he won't have them in his control twenty twenty four. Even if he's elected,
0: you know, one of the obviously one of the kind of uh, targets is the what you call the dangerous policies of Joe Biden. What I'm struck by is how bad his perception is. Whereas, if you at least from where I look at. Where we look at two years ago, and of course, you know, Trump didn't invent Corona, but he certainly didn't handle it well. But when I look at the jobs numbers, the unemployment numbers, when I look at people's IRAs, when I look at wages, when I look at the stock market, when I look at two bills that are going to have a lot of teeth to work with to get through, why is he so sucking in the polls at this point? Why are the Democrats just, just seen as weak? To me, I, I, Afghanistan was a tremendous fumble. But I don't think people – and I think it just – it. Put a hole in his co- in what I'll call his competency game. Uh, this guy doesn't have his hands on the wheel. But if yep. you look at the State of the Union, I, I don't get it. But talk to me about that kind of very the, that 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 delta there. That doesn't make sense. I, I, I think
1: uh, Donnie. I think it's exactly about what you're known for, and it's brand. Yeah. Joe Biden campaigned on a brand that said, "I'm a uniter. I'm going to bring the country together. I'm a moderate." And I'm going to work with the other side. And he then got into office and he went far left. And I, I will tell you, like, to me, the worst thing you can possibly do as a politician is govern against the brand you campaigned on mm-hmm. voters. Remember, and, and I've been saying this for a while with no even anecdotal proof of it. And then I did a book event, um, uh, last Thursday night. And a woman came up to the microphone to ask me a question. She identified herself as an independent voter. She's a white, suburban, college-educated woman. And she said, I voted for Joe Biden. She goes, I didn't vote for Joe Biden because I love him. She goes, I voted for Joe Biden because I didn't want Trump.
0: Well, I was she a said, huge majority of the vote.
1: Yeah, and she said to me, and I, but, she said, I believe Joe Biden was going to bring the country together. She said, and then he went with all the liberals that I didn't want to support. In a Democratic primary, like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And she said, So I feel betrayed by him. And she said, And I would never vote for him again. And I think that's what you're talking about here, Donnie. I think that independence in mass, that six to 8% of the electorate has abandoned Joe Biden. They haven't gone anywhere else. They're not with someone else. They're now back by themselves. And I think Republicans don't like his policies and even some Republicans who voted for him probably wouldn't approve of what he's doing, although they'll take him over Trump and a lot of Democrats don't like what he's doing um, because you got the Joe Manchin type Democrats smaller in number, but who say this is not what we voted for. And then ironically, you have a bunch of the liberal Democrats who are saying he's not being liberal enough, right? This is a guy who just,
0: but you're talking about unite. People want unite to the country. That's uniting the democratic party. You're, is the ability to unite the country just an archaic thought at this point? Uh, because basically this thing, we get our news how we want, when we want, bespoke. And the days of us being united, I, I think, are done. That's just not part of our, the United States. I mean, the irony of the, type, the name of the country is, is a misnomer at this point.
1: I think that, that what we're going to have to have to bring the country back together is a crisis, a yeah. real crisis. Um, and probably an existential crisis from outside. Yeah. And and I, we saw that in 9-11. And the country was very together in 9-11 until Iraq came. And even if you remember, Donnie, the beginning of Iraq, the country was completely behind President Bush, the beginning of Iraq. And I always have thought that if they actually found WMD, that you wouldn't have had the divisions you had over Iraq because people saw that as a worthy cause. Sure, of course. But when the worthy cause didn't show up, the country then went back to its corners. And really has not been together again since, except for maybe one night, um April, 2012, when you know the Navy SEALs Osama, killed built Osama. Osama bin Laden, and I think that was the one night in that period that the country was back together again. So I do think that it will not happen based upon internal domestic issues, but will only happen based upon an existential external crisis, which then a president could take advantage of. Where I think Biden made his mistake was he he decided and someone convinced him he was going to be fdr yeah and he ain't fdr donnie
0: um and, and on
1: that, his best day he ain't fdr
0: yeah yeah and, I,
1: and that's a problem you can't be something you're not yeah and when you try to be and you know this as well as anybody when you try to be something that you natively cannot be the american people stiff you
0: out well that was by the way the one thing Trump had more than anything was authenticity. I mean, and yep. that's what people want. That's the And, you know, every piece of research I look at with young people with buying brands today, authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. So you you, you couldn't be more right. And I think that's where Biden hurt himself. Yeah. I want to shift to um, my, you an interview we did with my friend Nicole Wallace a couple of weeks ago. I know you and Nicole are friends, and it was very feisty. And kind of the, one of the kind of sticking points was that in the book, you blame uh, the rise of, of these conspiracy theorists and truth deniers for a lot of the media, and you don't touch Fox. And certainly, something that uh, I could agree with Nicole on. And how do you not put Fox in that box? <laughs> Fox in the box, right?
1: Right. Well, look. First of all, it's not true that I don't talk about Fox in there. That's the first thing. Um, you know, and and what I say in there is that um, every bit of media is responsible. And, and by the way. Um, you know, we're now finding out a great deal about the the whole Russian collusion thing that is disturbing. And you had a lot of media on the left jumping to certain conclusions that now turn out to not have been true. Um, I think that's the nature of it today. But when I talked about media in there, what she said was, well, you talked about media, but you didn't go after a chief, particularly wanted me to go after Tucker Carlson. And my response to her was, I don't watch his show, so I don't know. And I got all this kind of disbelief in the, in the, in the media reaction, like that, he, that I don't watch Tucker Carlson. Like, look, I'm not one of these people who's planted in front of the TV every night yeah. watching Fox from seven to 11 at that's, night. That's, my, the oh,
0: that's the pres- my my president. That's the president.
1: And my 88 year old father does and that. And
0: my 92 year old mother, the same, except right? she's on, she's on MSNBC. But the same yeah, right. So right. Like,
1: I, I don't. So my point to Nicole was, look, I'm sure there's a book to be written about that. And you want to write that book, write that book. But the conspiracy theorists I'm talking about are, are the people inside my party who are trying to sell this stuff, and I don't I don't count the Fox Media as part of that. It wasn't the focus of my book, so you know, to me, I wrote about some things that very few other people in my party are going to write about, and this is part of the problem with our conversation today. I talk about QAnon, PizzaGate, birtherism, um, and the election. Lies, and I don't think there's a lot of other Republicans doing that. And so then I go on MSNBC, and Nicole says, Yeah, but you didn't do this. <laughs> like, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. That wasn't the focus of my book, I'm guilty. but but in the scheme of Republicans, I'm, I'm the
0: safety raft.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, like you know, and that's what made me laugh about the interview was that, and it, because it, it, I think the interview was indicative of where media is, yeah, in the country right now. Is that you cannot, you either have to be all of one thing or all of another. And if you're not, then somehow you're not credible. By, by, by the same token, um, you know, in some of the folks in in the far, far right media, you know, I'm a traitor. Yeah. Because I say that the election wasn't stolen.
0: There's no grays anymore. I mean, that's the, bottom no. the, that's, and, that's the point. But
1: guess what? I, having governed a blue state as a Republican, I know that, that 75% of life is gray. Yeah, and that's what leadership is about.
0: You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I I, I,
1: navigate that.
0: I get painted as a liberal. I'm on MSNBC, yet I'm conservative in a lot of my views. I I mean, it's just I think we're all a portfolio of different things. We don't. And I I had a a great moment once. uh, I was on TV and I made an analogy um, that I did a, a analogy that I basically said that you know if you're if you're uh, vote for Trump, you have to own everything he does. And some of the things like Nazis did, like separating kids from their families and whatnot, you have to. So a guy writes in on, on my DM nasty, you know, you calling me a Nazi punk Jew asshole. You know what I mean? It's like every word you could use piece of shit. Da, da, da. And I looked him up and I saw he was a veteran and I wrote him and I said, I have to tell you, uh, um, Wes, I'm so sorry, you know, you serve our country. And really what I said was this, and I bet you and I agree a lot more than we disagree. I see you're a dad, I'm a dad. Five texts later, we're calling each other brother. You know what I mean? It was just, it was so interesting. Two guys who on the surface, you would go, oh my God, they are just, because of something that I said, and then it was twisted, and then he took it this way. and And in reality, two people you would never, he was from Kansas, you would never say these guys agree on much. Eighty percent, we were on the same page on, it. and, and yep. to this day we text each other. It's interesting. And
1: we're not having that conversation. And I'll, I'll give you another example of somebody who's high profile publicly um, that is being perceived differently now. Um, Bill Maher, mm-hmm. and, and I was on Bill's show a couple of weeks ago. Well, Bill plays both sides. I mean, he and, really does. I mean, and, you know, and and what the Democrats are doing right now is really disturbing him. Yes, as a Democrat, right? And so Bill's speaking out, and I can't tell you how many Republican friends of mine who wouldn't be caught dead watching bill maher before are saying to me now you know that bill maher makes some good points right and my point's been because i've known bill for a long time bill's always thought those things yeah and 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 so what we need to do in this country is listen to each other a little bit more and give each other a break i mean my wife and i've said we'd love to be able to go back to a time where we could go to a cocktail party and actually discuss politics where people don't start throwing things at each yeah. other, yeah, and and unfortunately we're not there yet. Part of what I hope to be able to do over the course of the next few years, whether I run or I don't, is to be a voice from the perch I have at ABC, at a minimum, to say to folks, you know, let's talk about common sense here, rather than always having on our jersey, and and having to go to the far extreme of that jersey um, every day, whether we really believe it or we don't.
0: All right. Final thing. We should probably make a little news today. You want to announce your run for president? I know you said you're not going to do it until after the midterms, but let's make some news today. What do you think? You want to announce your run for presidency?
1: I, I would love to do that on your show, Donnie, but no. <laughs> um, because because my wife is two rooms down. And if I haven't announced to her yet and I announced to Donnie Deutsch, um, big trouble in the Christie household. But listen, I, I'll make it really clear to you. My view on it is this. If I get to the end of 22 and I believe that i'm the right person to lead the country i see a pathway to winning and my family supports it then i'm going to run um and if i don't get all those three then i won't and you know a lot of people say that and people think they have no credibility well look everybody in the world was begging me to run in 2011 and i said no because i didn't think i was ready to be president after bridgegate in 2013 and you know a lot of people said well we thought he was going to be it, but now he's not going to be it. And I bowled through it, Donnie, and ran a credible race where I was a significant candidate in the primary. So I'm going to make my decisions based upon what I think is the right thing to do. I think I've proven that twice now, in, in essence, and contrary to public opinion. I'll make those decisions. And believe me, if I'm in,
0: I'll get noticed. You will. And yeah, that, I don't know what'll happen. And and the book, Republican Rescue Saving the Party from Truth Deniers, Conspiracy Theorists, and the Dangerous Policy of Joe, Joe Biden, is a pretty good platform builder. Um, so I suggest everybody read it. And I suggest the Republicans read it because it is the playbook. It is. And Chris Christie, I really appreciate your time, Governor. Thank you so much. And how busy you are.
1: Hey, Donnie, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and, uh, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. And this
0: wasn't a murder suicide, was it?
1: No, we've, really, we, we've so evolved, Donnie.
0: <laughs> Stay well, my friend, all right? You too, buddy. Thanks. Take care. Hope you guys enjoyed our uh, show today on our Brands of the Week and Chris Christie. Uh, I did. Uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. So rate, review, or subscribe. Please do it. It really helps us. And also watch our videos on YouTube. Uh, and also subscribe there and leave us your comments there. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, everybody. Have a safe week. We'll see you next time on Offer. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say
1: everything I think I know about that subject. And then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast. You'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review. I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffries now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.